listening to episode 22, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Jeffrey Cuse has a PhD from the University of Glasgow and is Professor of Christian Ministry, Theology, and Culture at Seattle Pacific University. He is also the Executive Director of Pivot Northwest. He is a regular contributor to the Kendallings Muse podcast on theology and culture, and is on the editorial board of Literature and Theology. His books include Freedom of the Self, Blur, and Your Neighbor's Hymnal. Cuse lives in Seattle, Washington, with his wife, Diana, and their three children. The room you're in right now is shaping you. It's forming you into a different kind of person, whether you're aware of it or not. The lighting in the room, the people around you, and a lot of other variables all play a part in forming who you are as a person and how you're going to interact with the world around you. God actually designed us to work this way. One of the tendencies every human being has is to be the ruler of our own existences. It drives us away from community and others around us and pushes us into isolation. But this is the opposite of God's design for our lives. He created us with an intrinsic connection to the people around us. We need each other to survive and thrive in the world, especially as Christians. In this chapter, Jeff explains just how important this connection is, and he finds an important clue in Genesis chapter 4 not long after God first asks Adam and Eve, where are you? One of the other themes that you kind of come up, and I might be jumping around in the book with this question, is how the different places and how the different relationships that we're in actually shape us. They help um, define our identity. I'm really fascinated by this idea of geography shaping who we are as well. It's come up now a few times in in our interviews. Can you talk about that then, maybe in, in relation to creation and our callings and where we're at, but how does the geography of where we're at end up shaping our identities? Mm. Yeah, uh, Winston Churchill had a great statement about architecture. He said that we give shape to buildings and ultimately they will give shape to us, meaning that we, in, in the rebuilding of, of Britain after the Blitz and the bombings uh, during World War II, we need to be very intentional when we build a building because what happens in that space where people will inhabit a space will either dehumanize or rehumanize them. Um, and, and, and similarly, the geographical location that we find ourselves in relation to other human beings, in relation to nature and giving our space for God's worship uh, become vitally important for our development. I mean, the thing is, it's amazing in all of creation and we see this in scripture and I, I reference uh, Psalm 8 later on in the book. Um, that Psalm 8 is a, uh, a psalm where it's a, you know, God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it goes from the heights of heaven all the way down to the depths of the sea, where all of creation is, is proclaiming God's name, except in verse 4, uh, Psalm 8, verse 4, what are human beings that God is mindful of them? Uh, and, and that it's a question that is asked of humans by the psalmist, because human beings have a variant. We have the capacity to be inhumane. We can go against our created nature. We can step aside because of freedom in the image of God we've been empowered to give. Um, and, and what happens is that we can actually move away in geographical spaces and into spaces that'll shape us and mold us into things that we don't even recognize anymore. So 
So what, what I think why geography is so important is what are the places that keep me in a human scale in a human way that I can worship God, where I can see other human beings, that I can talk to them. Uh, when I when I first moved to Scotland, uh, when I was teaching over at the University of Glasgow and also working in the Church of Scotland there, uh, the first two years I was there, I didn't have a car. Um, and having come from the West Coast of America, everybody has a car, right? So I was walking and taking public transit you know, for the first two years I was there. And as an adult, moving away from car culture and into walking in public transit culture was a huge revelation for me. Because what it made me realize in the geographical spaces that I had driven by um, is I didn't see people. I didn't take the time to, as I walked by people who were sitting on the street to see their faces. I didn't hear the, the sounds of the, of the voices of mothers talking to their children on the sidewalk. I wasn't hearing all the, the movement and noises in the way I was because in a car, I could turn the music up, I could block it all out, I could be in my own blissed out sense of, of zone as I'm on the street. And so that ge the geographical reality of walking was it was an important part of my own spiritual awakening in that season of life. So I think how we see our spaces that we live in and inhabit, the way that we move in those spaces that allow us to give worship to God and create intimacy is vitally important. That's really cool. And and it seems to be the same thing with the people that are around us. I mean, like you were mentioning, just being in certain geographic locations and, and forced to uh, to interact with people that we might not otherwise see just changes our hearts and our minds, gives us new eyes to see. Uh, one of the things that came up in one of our past uh conversations was that our sanctification is partly defined by those that are around us in that like yeah. God puts those people in our path to help shape us. And so that's the, the second part of this relationship where thing, and, it, and it's kind of what you're getting at here it, with your second question, where we get the story of Cain and Abel. And, um, you know, of course we all know how that story ends, their brotherly love and bliss. And then no, not so much. And so then God asked so Cain, you know, where's your brother? But the question you focus on here is Cain's response to God in that. So here we have God reaching out to Cain, and Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And this is really a, this is a question of uh, relationship and responsibility. Talk to us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so as humanity moves out of the garden, you know, you know, this where are you question that gets asked, and God's response is, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm here, there you are. And as humanity then moves right away, the next chapter, chapter four, uh, we have this this first family that exists outside of, of, of Eden uh, with Cain and Abel, right? And very famous story that we all know about. And this horrendous turn that takes place between these two brothers of, of doubt and, and anger and jealousy and this murder, first murder that takes place, this horrendous act where Cain slays Abel. And... As Abel's blood is in the soil, um, you have Cain distancing himself from the responsibility of his brother, that he's somehow separate from him, right? And that's what turns on that question of, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, it's, it's, it's a question that is not even rhetorical for Cain. He's actually sincerely asking, am I actually attached to another human being? Is that a requirement for who I am? Is that what a human being is actually for? And I, what was so stunning for me when I was reflecting on that was to realize this is a question that people are asking in the 21st century. You know, you know, in what way, shape, or form am I responsible for you? You know, what, wh why, why should I care about who you are? And, and people will say, oh, yes, of course, humanity, really important. We need to kind of do missions. We need to care for other people. 
But what God's response is, is you are actually attached to that person. This is not a metaphysical question. You are actually intimately tied to the fates of every person you are around. In some way, shape, or form, you are part of humanity, not an isolated individual. What's interesting in the Old Testament, it's the, it's the lowest common denominator of what a human being is, is the, what's called the kahal in Hebrew, or the congregation. Humans were not seen as individual people apart from the kohal, the congregation. To be separated out and alone, to be in what's called wilderness, was to be dehumanized, right? It was a vile place to be. I mean, I, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so when people use wilderness, they think Patagonia, they think hydro flask bottles, they think selfies on Instagram out in the woods. I mean, that's how they think of wilderness, right? But in the Bible, wilderness is a, is a horror story for people because it's a place where I can only survive if God provides for me. That's the definition of wilderness, right? It's a, it's a clearing ground that we get left in. And, and so what Cain is arguing is that, oh, no, 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 I can, I can do wilderness by myself in many ways. That's kind of what's, what's at stake with him. And God is, is like, no, that's not what you were created for, not what you're meant to be. And that's why that chapter, I mean, the ending of the story, we often think of Cain, he's departing, he becomes the builder of cities, he, he moves on to the next thing. But what I wanted to land on in that chapter is that the fact that God marks Cain with a blessing, uh, that he actually, that the, the, the end of Cain's story is such an interesting turn because when God marks him with blessing to preserve his life, that no one will hurt him, it's a way that God is saying, even Cain has my love, even Cain has my provision. And, and what I saw in that was such a bold statement that no one gets to out the love of God. <laughs> None of us do. Every single person can find such hope. And here's what's the crazy thing about Cain's story is that when we get to Hebrews 11 in the New Testament with the list of all the people who are listed about what, what makes faith up, right? By faith, Abraham, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Noah, by faith, David. And Cain's name is in Hebrews 11, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's not that he's an act of faith, but he's just showing that God has faith in who Cain is. Um, and so there's something about Cain's story about asking, am I my brother's keeper about being attached to other human beings? That if we try to move too fast through that question and the rest of scripture, the other things are going to fall apart. So you have to stop and ask this question. How am I attached to other humans? Do I really rely on them? Do I let them speak into my life? Do I, do I depend on them in a particular way? Part of that chapter two is getting into why why Abel sacrifices with Cain, um, and a lot of it that I explore in the text is how Cain becomes very selfish about his own offering. You know, he wants credit for what he's done, and that's another part of kind of separating from other human beings. I want you to notice me, not think about us. It comes down to a mindset of his, and I mean, we're, we're not told explicitly in Scripture why or why not, but I like your case that you present in the book, and it seems like, yeah, Cain, even all the way up to the very end of saying, you know, when he's being cast out, it's he's still focused very much on himself. Don't send me out. They're going to kill me. What's going to happen? And you're right. And God, I like that you say that God blessed him with that mark, because really, I, you know, you look at it more as as, as a curse. You, you talk about, you yeah. refer to a whole lot of different uh, pieces of literature in the book, and so that's one of the reasons why it's a lot of fun to read. But, you know, you talk about one at one point, uh, Harry Potter, right, the, the scar that's on his forehead. And yep. so it's kind of like, oh, is this a curse or is this a, a blessing right here? And it kind of makes me think, you know, if we're given this responsibility and we've got these people around us, sometimes they do, they feel like a curse to us, you know, it's like they yep. get in our way, they, 
aggravate us. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from a Mennonite who said, um, real community is where the person you hate the most always is. And when they die, yeah. <laughs> someone else worse takes their place. <laughs> yeah, right. Just to underscore the idea that community is not, is, is not optional. This is an essential part of who we were created to be. And so looking at those people as opportunities rather than, um, and blessings rather than curses, I think is a really powerful point that helps us understand who we were created to be and the purpose for which they're placed in our paths. When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about the ways in which you can serve those around you? For me, honestly, it's a struggle. But I want to get better. I want to spring out of bed knowing the purpose for which God has called me. I want to serve others with the gifts and blessings he has entrusted to me. But this doesn't come naturally to me. I'm selfish. I want my own way. And some days, I'd prefer to let those around me fend for themselves. After all, I'm not their keeper. So I've had to practice being intentional about asking how I can serve others today. In fact, this is one of the most helpful questions found in the Daily Growth Journal. And every day that I'm intentional about answering the question, how can I serve God and others today, I find a greater sense of clarity and calling on my life as I follow Jesus. So today, I would challenge you to spend some time journaling on this question about how you can serve others and see how it opens your eyes to the possibilities and the responsibility that you have around you. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about what Jeff has to say about questions, check out his book, Live the Questions. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Jeff talks about the ways God uses us, even when we think we have nothing left to give. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. 